um, it's a fair question for people to ask us, like, why should you guys even exist? And we say that we exist because there's a major problem to solve in the world that we live in. And that problem is that despite the fact that, you know, there's more technology in your pocket or your handbag than sent the man to the moon, right? Um, despite the fact that we're supposedly more connected than ever before through social media, people are more isolated, they're lonelier, they're more depressed, they're more sedentary, they're more addicted than perhaps at any time in human history. And that's not the way that life is meant to be lived. And so if you think about the businesses that uh, VF is in, they make products that help people to get out and engage with others and be active. And that's what we're trying to do too, just from a, a technology-led angle, uh, because you know the, the iPhone is amazing. It's not going away. There's some, there's some negative side effects to it. But how can we use technology for good, if you will, to help people to have these, these better day-to-day -day lifestyles? That is why Wildwood exists. And everything that we invest in is going to be a business that meets those needs that real people have. And because of that, those businesses have the chance to do very, very well financially. Hey, I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this is the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying the show and want the full experience, subscribe to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com. I send fundraising updates, and you'll receive new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. All content and episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guests today are David Wagner and Jesse Marble, who are the co-founders of Wildwood Ventures. Wildwood Ventures is backed by VF Corporation. VF Corporation is a holding company whose portfolio includes the iconic outdoor and activity-based lifestyle brands like Vans, The North Face, Timberland, and Dickies. Wildwood Ventures invests in consumer technology companies that make lives better. We discuss how Wildwood Ventures came to be, the focus on consumer tech rather than consumer brands, and what specifically about consumer tech they find most interesting, how they typically structure their deals as an incubator, how they position themselves as a new fund, and their approach to sourcing. Without further ado, here's David and Jesse. David and Jesse, thank you both so much for joining me here, here today. How are you both doing? We're doing great. It's nice to speak with you, Mike. Thanks for having us. Mike, thank you. No, this is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so I want to start from like the broader kind of perspective with VF Corp. I mean, why did they launch Wildwood Ventures? Why did they launch a venture studio? I know that they're like the anchor investors of like Base Layer VC. They are, you also have, um, you know, the VF venture foundry just what's the overall maybe approach from like vf corporate when it comes to um innovation and then well and how did that birth as well wildwood ventures i'll give you the backstory uh so vf for those in your audience that may not know vf is the parent company of some of the world's best known outdoor and active brands um, so the biggest brands in vf's portfolio are the north face and Vans, Timberland, uh, Dickies, uh, Supreme is a company that BF bought a few years ago. So there's there's about a dozen brands um, that make up a 
you know, 12 billion to $13 billion corporation. And VF has been around for 124 years, uh, but only um, a couple of years ago did VF start uh, a venture uh, platform. Um, and I was at VF at the time. So um, I was VF's head of strategy for several years. And as a part of that role, uh, we saw the need to, um, to, to think about innovation in a different way. And COVID was actually one of the driving elements of that, because I think COVID showed to everybody that you can't take what you have for granted. And so even though VF has some of the best brands in its categories, that doesn't mean that VF um, is always going to be a winner. And you have to think about changes in consumer behavior. You have to think about how technology is changing the future of brand building. And so for reasons like that, back in 2021, VF launched uh, two things at the same time. Uh, we launched a, a venture studio called VF Venture Foundry. And then VF also provided the anchor strategic investment for a third party uh, seed in A stage technology fund called Baselayer Ventures. And those two entities were designed to work together uh, really well. And on the studio side, which is the piece that actually became Wildwood Ventures, um, we were doing two things um, inside of VF. We were working with founders that had ideas for businesses that were relevant to VF's future. And then we were also working with VF's brands to think about new growth adjacencies and different business models. And so that's really the, that's the backstory for kind of what was the, the founding um, elements that became Wildwood. And earlier this year in May, uh, we set up a new company on the outside of VF called Wildwood Ventures. Uh, and this is done in close partnership with VF. And so VF is the anchor strategic limited partner in, in Wildwood. Um, and we made that change uh, because VF, um, it's no surprise, um, has been dealing with a few challenges uh, since COVID started. And corporate innovation is difficult to do in general. I think anybody that's worked in that area um, would acknowledge that really quickly. And it's even harder to do if the base business um, is facing some headwinds. And so with VF right now, uh, they're getting vans back to its leadership position. Um, they were dealing with some supply chain challenges during COVID. And so for those reasons, we agreed with VF, VF that it made sense to continue doing what we were doing, but we could simplify things for VF uh, by standing it up on the outside. And that's what Wildwood is. Um, and it just allowed VF to uh, you know, focus on the core business. Um, and we also are bringing in outside investors as a part of our fund um, that can complement VF. And so we really think it's a win-win that we've come up with here. So we really have, you know, access to VF and its leadership, and we can continue to create opportunities for the startups that we're working on, but in a way that's easier for VF to do. And so that's really uh, how Wildwood came into being over the last year. Okay, got it. So in terms of LP setup and um, the overall, you know, investors in the actual fund itself, um, then VF is more so like a prominent anchor or, you know, the anchor investor rather than being, you know, a, a being like an all out kind of corporate, um, like a CVC um, part of VF type strategy. Is that is that kind of roughly correct? Yeah, exactly. that's yep, yeah, that's that's correct. They are our anchor. They're an amazing partner uh, with us. You know, we've got members of their executive leadership team and brand presidents and other really influential leaders within the company that are on our advisory board. Um, you know, we have uh, kind of working 
commercial pilots uh, between our portfolio companies and VF, things that we're cooking. Uh, and so for us, it's just a, it's a great setup. Uh, and again, it allows VF to just simplify the corporate center and make sure that their day in and day out is primarily focused on kind of their core business drivers like Vans or the North Face. So I want to first, I want to kind of talk when it comes to portfolio companies um, more about, or when you, when you do decide to, um, when you do have a, a portfolio company, kind of what that ideal end result is uh, first before focusing on like the, um, the studio side of it. So like, for example, and what I mean by that is the end as like the end result, um, since I know that you work still, it seems like pretty closely with VS Corp is the end result. Like um, when you do invest in a company that, okay, it, it's, um, uh, it's, it's, if it's, if it is like an apparel company or, or something that's related to VF Corp that the, and, and as an acquisition side, it has to be interesting or attractive VF or VF might block, for example, like a potential acquisition from another, you know, type of competitor to them. Is that, um, it, is there that, is there that mandate when you actually do, um, start companies or, or not at all? No, not at all, actually. Uh, and in fact, um, when people know about the relationship between VF and Wildwood, they often assume that our primary focus is investing in the next great apparel brand or footwear brand. And that's actually not our primary focus. So when we were uh, established inside of VF, we were set up um, with the primary objective of helping VF and its brands to uh, do things like increase consumer lifetime value and engagement for the brands that it already has. So VF has the world's biggest outdoor apparel brand, the North Face. It doesn't really need another one, but through the startups that we invest in that are more digitally oriented, so digital products and services and platforms, those can create opportunities um, over time for VF's brands to you know, think about growth and think about consumer engagement in new ways. So we'll actually do uh, many, many more of those in our fund one than we will more traditional apparel and footwear startups. Got it. That makes sense. I mean, looking at like the four companies you have two, you know, three are kind of software focused and then one, um, Kinza is, um, is, uh, obviously a, a apparel brand. Um, so you definitely see that it's more like definitely understand that there's more like kind of software oriented there of, of, of the three companies being more software oriented and versus one company that's kind of more um, inventory based type, you know, company, um, apparel company. Um, now you label all your, you label yourselves as like a, obviously like a venture studio. I've, I've heard on the show, like a number of different kind of ways that people describe or think about venture studio. I feel like it, it, it can be, it can be a little bit broad. Um, so I'd love to like know your approach when it comes to venture studio. Is it kind of very like internal and in that you are all like the ones that are kind of incubating and think about the ideas themselves, or is it external and you're actually like wanting to pull in kind of uh, partners from like the beginning or, you know, uh, CEOs that already have the idea and that, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome question. Cause there is a lot of, there's still a lot of, uh, kind of diversity within the studio space and some very clear design choices that different studios have made. So you use the term internal, like an internal studio. So for listeners, I think what you mean by that is a studio that likely is generating their own ideas incubating those businesses within the studio and then probably then going to find a founder or a CEO or an EIR. 
we actually take uh, a different approach, which was probably what you're calling the external style. So we specifically want a founder with an idea. Um, now that should be very early. We want to work with uh, pre true pre-seed startups, but we really like this idea of founder concept fit. That's very important before product market fit. And so when somebody shows up to Wildwood, we actually want them to have a hypothesis and a business in mind, even if it is just a PowerPoint deck and what we call a true zero as a business, we will work with true zeros. We will also, we talk about working with 0.5s and ones, which maybe are a little bit further along than that. So Wildwood, yes, we are a venture studio. Uh, we use more of that external model and want to work with a founder with an idea. Uh, we also are an investor as well. So we don't only use our kind of time and talent. Our fund is structured to write checks, usually via safes or convertible notes uh, as well. Um, so, but there are some awesome internal studios like you're referring to, like Mike Jones from Science was on the podcast. They, they have done a lot of the incubation, call it internal style. They also do some external style startups as well, um, but we're primarily focused now on that, uh, that we call them founder-led concepts as opposed to studio-led concepts. No, that makes sense. I mean, uh, like on the external side too, I, I, I had on like juxtapose as well. And they are more like, they're more like internal, actually, sorry, on the internal side, they actually are the ones that are actually incubating and bringing their ideas. And then they go externally, um, as, uh, uh, as he says, bring in like the Michael Jordan CEO to like come in and then like, like obviously like scale up the company or, you know, take it to the next level and what have you. So that's, that's really interesting how, how you kind of start, you know, externally, um, and I really appreciate that was um, I really appreciate you uh, me haphazardly saying what internal uh, and external was to my my point, and you really explained it very crisp. So really appreciate that for for for, for all our uh, all our listeners here. Um, then on then how do you and, and in terms of true zeros that as you say that, that could be like a PowerPoint deck like product is not in market. Um, there might not be if it's since you are gearing more towards it seems like software technology focused type businesses. Um, there might not be, um, there might be a demo or like, or like a rough kind of concept or in terms of code, but there also might not be right. Um, okay, cool. So, um, so how, how are you, how then when an entrepreneur brings you an idea and how then, and, and kind of having that, I, I, I like also like how you said founder concept fit, how do you kind of make that analysis in your mind? Um, since I'm sure you're seeing a ton of founders that that have you know ideas and how are you kind of assessing to see if that concept actually is viable yeah awesome question what's fascinating about a lot of seed venture capital is as it is vcs will say we're betting on the founder right? because there's probably there's pivots that are going to happen there's headwinds there are big competitors that are going to enter the space a big incumbent that decides to add this as a feature in their platform etc cetera, etc cetera. studio work notches that even further towards the, the, the power and prowess of the entrepreneur themselves. Um, so we look at during our evaluation process, we've got an evaluation model and it looks at a lot of the things that 
you even your guests have talked about, whether that's humility or agility. And there's there's lots of ways. Or actually, I'm, I'm looking at our evaluation model right now. So I'm going to just read a couple of these things off to you. Um, one of the things we look for, we call founder purpose. This is probably a subset of that idea of founder concept fit, uh, where sometimes you meet a founder and there is this uh, there's an intensity with which they believe they're called to solve this problem. There's some purpose uh, rooted in their personality or character that says, this is the problem that I am made and wired to solve. You can have really talented founders, smart, driven, strong network, technical chops, but they're not, they're, they're not working on a startup that makes their soul come alive. And so Listen, that's, all these things are very subjective, and I don't think we have some, some corner on the market for how to assess someone's purpose in life, right? But, but, but you can get a sense for if somebody says, come hell or high water, I want to work on this, right? And I want to find a, a path through this dark forest. So founder purpose is one thing uh, that we look for. We also look for venture style experience. So does this person know how to quickly scale a team and a, and a product in a company. Um, we break that apart from SME style experience. So venture is obviously about growing a business quickly, but SME experience is going to be, call it the technical topic that this startup is trying to tackle. So those are, those are three. We also look at inspiration, how well somebody can actually kind of capture and keep attention that matters for fundraising, that matters for recruiting, it matters for selling, it matters for brand building, it matters for all the marketing work downstream. Um, and then, and here's another one that, that I'll mention is we talk about the idea of, does this founder have range? Can they both cast vision and know how to deal with details or know how to bring the right person who can deal with details? So we talk about, Okay, maybe this person is the vision person, but okay, we can see the founding team also has the sort of, you know, the, the 30,000 foot view and the two foot view uh, needs to be obvious as well. Yeah, there's a, a phrase that we use a lot, Mike, you may, you may use it yourself, but we talk about finding people that can operate with a telescope in one eye and a microscope in the other. And that really embodies that range concept that Jesse just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's, that can be, you know, the challenging part, right? Because I'd imagine you're looking at, 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 um, you want to see that, that maybe the, the problem that the, um, that the founder is tackling is a big one. Right. Um, and that it, it, it can really have like a, a tremendous impact. Um, but at the same time, managing that too, with focus and, um, okay, what's maybe like the one use case that we're going to be working on to solve rather than, you know, the five or seven that will actually impact, you know, like the overall problem that we're trying to uh, get after. It, it even comes to life as we're thinking about unit economics, right? Yes, you want some positive or, you know, kind of in the black unit economics, whether, whether you measure that as LTV to CAC or CAC payback period. Yes, you need each net new customer, user, subscriber, whatever metric you use to be profitable. But are there a lot of those, right? And that's that microscope and telescope. We'll have these startups we talk to. They're these beautiful unit economics. We love 
at a, at a micro level. There's just not that many of those out there to find, right? So there's some kind of Pareto curve that they're going to hit. Um, and how high is the ceiling on that plateau is the, the question of the telescope. Once you make an investment and you said, okay, I'm going to take, you know, you on, um, uh, we're really excited to partner together and work together. What's then comes after that and how long typically in that kind of studio model, I'd imagine working pretty intensely with, um, with the founder since it is so early. Um, how long do you, do you typically, um, what's kind of like the life cycle per se of like the studio in terms of how long you actually work that founder that you think that, okay, they're going to get to the next level. Um, they're going to get to the next level where it might make sense to, I don't know, raise another venture round or, you know, kind of like take off and kind of let their wings fly. Yeah. So, um, my great question, uh, when we, uh, make the thoughtful choice to partner with the founder, we're basically planning to be their in-depth, uh, partner for probably three to four years. And, you know, beyond that, be on their cap table and still be a part of their network and their universe. So I'll take that and break it into pieces. Um, so our studio model, uh, we typically will work hand in hand every day with founders um, in that zero to one phase when you're trying to find initial product market fit for up to 12 months. Uh, and, you know, we get to know the founder deeply. Um, we we consider each other just part of one team. Um, we're working to complement them and everything that they do and, and what they need every day for that uh, 12 month period, but that's not the end of it. Um, so we, you know, our, our fund structural allows us to continue to support them, um, you know, as needed, uh, if there's more capital that's needed during that pre-seed period, we have the ability to, to provide that. And then for those businesses where, the, uh, the business is showing great promise and they're able to get to being able to raise a seed round. Um, we love the idea and we're set up to be able to lead or co-lead the seed rounds, um, you know, with that founder. And so therefore we're continuing, continuing to work with them in depth for, you know, another couple of years at that time, it's more at a board or strategic advisory level, but we're there with them every week, uh, working through the, the big things that move the needle. So, um, that's kind of how we think about the life cycle. And then, you know, there's, there's a phase or in some cases, multiple phases, even before that um, clock begins ticking, uh, where we have a process called our fellowship phase. Um, and that's where we will commit to work, you know, with the founder and the startup for typically six to eight weeks. In some cases, we might want to do it a little bit longer, uh, but we are investing our time. Um, and putting our resources in with the founder during that period on a very specific element of the broader problem that they're trying to solve. We're doing that totally on our dime as a chance to get to know the founder, for them to get to know us, and to make sure that we think there's great chemistry there uh, with that individual and their team. Uh, because again, we plan to you know, have this great in-depth relationship for three or four years. So, and do, do every company that you look at do they have to go in, in terms of the one that the ones that obviously you're interested in, do they all go through that, that fellowship phase? Yes, they do. They do. And, and um, we think it's uh, a good investment of time on both sides uh, just to make sure that we each feel like we're complementing the other. And we also, um, you know, look, we're new, right? So we're establishing 
our reputation on the market. And we want to give founders firsthand experience of the really awesome team that we have and the, um, you know, the network that we have that can benefit them in a lot of ways. And so we're very happy to invest that time before we actually make the financial commitment um, to the founder. I've heard, um, and I know that obviously Wildwood Ventures, you all are, you know, it's, um, it's very, very young. So maybe it hasn't maybe experienced this or it won't experience this, but I've heard in the venture studio model that maybe traditional VCs don't, don't love companies maybe come through the venture studio model just because of the actual percentages, the ownership percentages, they won't be able to actually get there. Um, in terms of what they actually want when it comes to raising rounds, because a studio might take maybe up to like 40%, for example, of, uh, of, uh, of what it is. I know that probably also, it seems like your model is a bit different and that you also lead seed rounds too, um, which that's probably a bit different from other venture studio models. But if you can comment in terms of how you also think about future fundraising rounds beyond it, and if you ever see that like that as kind of an issue when it comes to uh, finding future partners for your companies. Yeah, awesome question. And it goes back to the, the previous topic of that idea of more of an external style studio or more of an internal style studio. Uh, our view is that this external style studio actually posi positions us closer to what I call traditional VCs as opposed to the internal studio style cap tables. So one of our strategic choices, design choices in Wildwood is that we, we want these businesses to go on and do awesome things. To be able to do that, the cap table needs to be not restrictive to the EIR slash founder. And so what that means is we actually take less common than many internal style studios do. Even though we are relatively young, the feedback we've been getting from other VCs who do seed and would be partners at the follow-on uh, for follow-on rounds, uh, we, we have not had red flags on our cap tables. So while that is an issue for, for, for many studios, we've decided to kind of um, be very follow-on friendly in how we've modeled the fund and what cap tables look like. I'll, I'll just add <clears throat> two things to that. Um, uh, the first is um, when, when we participate through a seed round, uh, the ownership that Wildwood would have in the venture um, is uh, it's very healthy uh, versus what a, a traditional seed lead might have. And that's because of the studio um, common that we take, that minority position of common that still leaves the vast majority with the founder. So that's really attractive to our investors and to Wildwood. The other thing that I would say is that one of the benefits of us being outside of VF is that the words VF corporation don't sit on a cap table. Having a large corporation sitting on a cap table is often um, uh, not comfortable to other investors, uh, but they can look at us as, hey, you know, Wildwood is a, is a VC firm with the studio model. They don't take too much, so the founder still has a healthy amount. Our incentives align, you know, between Wildwood and the other VCs, so they're not worried about us pushing to, you know, sell the company too early. And so we think we've found a, a really great sweet spot in how we've set it up so far. 
No, that's great. Um, because because like as you say, like totally understand. Um, from like the the difference between a wildwood, for example, versus like a VF corpse sitting on the cap table. Um, certainly when I talk to investors and um, you know, if I ever am a t- chime with them about, I mean, when I say investors, like traditional VC investors, um, and chatting with them about, you know, a CVC or, or something about corporate, they always, it's, it's interesting because sometimes it, 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 there is like a little bit of, um, skepticism when it comes to, okay, but what happens if like the company's successful, then what? Right. Um, and so, um, so I'm glad you kind of point that out too. How also do you think about in terms of, the value that you all both provide? Cause I know that obviously you can leverage like the VF network, for example, but what does it actually maybe entail in terms of when you actually bring on a company um, and that you're working with a company day in, day out, how do you actually like provide value in your own way? Yeah. Great question. Um, I'll take a crack at it and Jesse can, can add on. So uh, the first thing I would say is it, it starts with our team. Uh, so Jesse and I are uh, very fortunate to have an exceptional team uh, that has great experience in both startups and in uh, working with lifestyle brands. And what we hear from many founders that come to us is they, they're they interested in Wildwood because of the experiences that we have building successful consumer brands. So there's just that general um, experience and capability that we have. Specific to VF, uh, which is what we have that's, you know, pretty hard for anybody else to, to replicate, you know, we can create value in a few ways. Uh, we can uh, connect our brands or excuse me, our investments uh, to VF and maybe some of their brands for commercial test pilots, which are beneficial to both parties. Um, in other cases, we can help our startups be connected to players in VF's network. Uh, so as an example, uh, one of our investments is out and back. It's a managed re-commerce marketplace that started with outdoor gear. Um, one of their early commercial pilot partners is Public Lands, which is owned by Dick's Sporting Goods. And Dick's is a very large customer of VF. And we were able to make that introduction at the highest levels between VF and Dick's. And then it led to uh, this pilot opportunity that Out and Back has uh, with Dick's. And so that's an example there. And then the last thing I would mention specific to VF is you know, uh, we, um, we have great working relationships with brand leaders and functional leaders alike across the company. Um, several that are on our advisory board. So people like Kevin Bailey, who is kind of a, a legend in the action sports industry. He's the, uh, he's the president of Vans or someone like Jen McLaren, who's the president at Ultra. So we just, we've got these just great people that are rooting for what we're doing at Wildwood, uh, both because they believe in serving consumers well, and they also know that when we find these win-wins, it's good for their own business that they're operating inside of VF. So those would be a couple of things that I would point out. My addition on this topic I is, um, so, so my background is actually, I ran a marketing agency, specifically doing brand development and growth. And all we did all day was sit with a company and say, where are you now? And what's the next step? And I think that that experience has translated really well working with founders where, you know, you know, sometimes agency life, we want to do all this cool, big, fancy stuff. And, you know, you want to build out all these amazing things. Startups are about kind of zero to one, right? How are we getting the next customer and the next 10 and the next hundred with what we have? It's a very uh, scrappy, resourceful view of the world, as anybody listening would say, of course. And, and that experience of saying, we're working on a lot of stuff, we're going to be hyper-efficient and, and hyper-focused on what will drive 
will drive results. That is what running an agency is about. And what's interesting is there are there are some marketing agencies that are making a pivot to venture studio because they have all these skill sets to take products to market. So they say, why don't we just work on some of our own ideas or do this in a new way? Um, so I, I'm using myself as a concrete example of kind of a, a, a SME in a specific discipline. But if you look across the team, David's experience on strategy, legal finance, we've, we've got a, an awesome team. I could brag about them for this whole time um, in very specific areas. And even as we started Wildwood, part of the discussion of joining Wild was, hey, listen, if you want to go work for a VC where your job is primarily around deal flow, diligence, sourcing, and investment management, that's not what this is. We're, we have those pieces and we have to roll up our sleeves and build. And, and so there's a, there's a unique role that inviting someone to work in a studio is saying, uh, hey, uh, we are our startups and we are rolling up our sleeves. Now, of course, we, and we want to honor the role of the founders, right? And they, they, have, they are doing something way above and beyond our role as the studio. And we want to make sure we're positioning them as the heroes. But this is one step closer to being a founder yourself is to work in a studio, um, which is, is for some people and it's not for others. But David and I are really excited about the team that we have and their roll up their sleeve willingness right alongside us. I don't know if that's an it's actual a word. It's a technical term. Yeah, that's a technical. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> is. That is definitely, definitely. Um, um, no, that's uh, that's awesome. That's really great. I also, I also kind of. It, it's also just interesting to learn to you know um, about the overall, just what you're investing in, in that, you know, it's kind of life lifestyle outdoor focused uh, technology companies um, rather than brands or, or even, you know, cause we've seen like, and I'm sure you, uh, you've seen it um, in consumer, kind of a, a bit of a shift. It seems like from some of the consumer funds investing more so into like enablement technology companies and, and e-commerce enablement companies versus, you know, um, uh, versus like uh, consumer brands, which maybe they were, you know, known for investing in. Whereas you're all obviously, you know, VF, you know, they obviously know consumer brands. They have, they have some of the biggest in the world. Um, and it's, it's just quite interesting. I know this is not, you know, VF's fund, but it's kind of interesting just based off of all the experience, and all the resources it have, it's leveraging that instead to build actually consumer technology, like true consumer technology that actually impacts consumers' lives instead of like more like maybe like SMB technology um, that's e-commerce enabled. So just pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean that's um, that's the that's the skill set and the background that our that our team has that that consumer perspective. But I mean, look, we um, it's a fair question for people to ask us, like, why should you guys even exist? And we say that we exist because there's a major problem to solve in the world that we live in, and that problem is that despite the fact that you know there's more technology in your pocket or your handbag then sent the man to the moon, right? Um, despite the fact that we're supposedly more connected than ever before through social media, people are more isolated, they're lonelier, they're more depressed, they're more sedentary, they're more addicted than perhaps at any time in human history. And that's not the way that life is meant to be lived. 
And so if you think about the businesses that uh, VF is in, they make products that help people to get out and engage with others and be active. And that's what we're trying to do too, just from a, a technology led angle, uh, because you know the, the iPhone is amazing. It's not going away. There's some, there's some negative side effects to it, but how can we use technology for good, if you will, to help people to have these, these better day-to-day -day lifestyles. That is why Wildwood exists and everything that we invest in is going to be a business that meets those needs that real people have. And because of that, those businesses have the chance to do very, very well financially. So I know that, um, that as we talked about extensively, um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think it's great how you take more of like external focus rather than an internal focus when it comes when it comes to ideation and also you know you're you're partnering with a founder from day one it's a founder's it's a founded idea but i'm sure you both have um and probably started wildwood with with lots of ideas too in terms of ways to actually um um change the world and, and kind of get people more outside and maybe away from technology while utilizing technology in order to do so. But um, I would say that what are maybe some of like the big problems that, that, that you are still kind of wanting to solve or really think about solving? Maybe you haven't found a company quite yet that, um, um, that is doing quite, uh, quite what you're thinking about, but um, maybe what are just some of the, like, like the, the big problems that you're thinking about right now? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of cool applications for existing kind of, uh, frontier technologies that we will get to see and we will see manifest in the next decade. How is AI used in these applications? How is Web3 come to life in this kind of space? What's really fascinating already, even in our young few months, is some of the, the, the size of some of the problems that our founders are tackling. And here, I'll, I'll give one very specific example. We have seen a a large number of pitches to Wildwood trying to solve the problem of loneliness. And how do we use the technology that feels like this, this social media ecosystem that has promised us connection has somehow accidentally for many people done the opposite. So there are some really fascinating, delightful concepts that we're seeing in loneliness. If you were to look at our website and, and read our thesis and see who our anchor LP is, would anybody guess that like loneliness is a category that's really, really popular right now, but a lot of founders are thinking about it. And I think that is wonderful. We will see, we, we will dig into some of these and try to build some of these concepts with all sorts of applications, but that's just one of those meta social layers it has nothing to do with. AI specifically, or you know, whatever enabling technology specifically, it's a human condition that all these people in mass are feeling this gravity towards this, this issue. And we are really proud to say that we're thrilled to look at those ideas and dive into a hard, muddy social space. And, and hopefully we can do that uh, in a way that builds a a great business uh, in the process. I'll give you. I'll give you two more, Mike. Things that <clears throat> things that we had thought about um, before we launched as we were just fine tuning our thesis. I'll give you one from the one from the world of outdoor and one from the world of wellness. So in the outdoor space, um, if you look at the people historically that have participated actively and frequently in the outdoor space, and this is a U.S. comment, 
they tend to be white, uh, maybe more male than female, um, but that's not what our population is today. And so there are millions of people out there that would like to figure out well, what does it mean for me and how do I do it? And how can I do it with people that maybe are more like me? Um, so we think that there's a redefinition of outdoor participation to be both more diverse and less physically intensive. So that's one example. Um, a second example from wellness uh, is that we very much believe, and there's lots of indications of this out there already, that uh, more and more people want to be able to take their personal well-being into their own hands. Um, traditional medicine, medicine 2.0, some might call it, it's expensive. It addresses the symptoms, but it doesn't really help you address the underlying causes. Uh, and obviously technology is evolving such that you can get more and more indications of how your own body is doing, um, you know, certainly wearables, but it's going to go beyond what we see today. I mean, we see startups out there that are looking at brain waves and saying, how can you, how can you train yourself to think differently? These are all things that, uh, that we believe are part of a, a big shift where, where because of technology and because of other factors too, like an increasing distrust of institutional medicine that people want to take uh, their wellness holistically, physically, emotionally um, into their own hands. And so those are some of the things that, that we think we can help to address by supporting founders that have very specific uh, callings in those areas. One other thing I'll add, Mike, is um, what outdoors means. So when we talk about this idea of facilitating healthy and active lifestyle, you think about the North Face and the the brand that they are, that has a lot to do with outdoor exploration and some kind of human performance element. As urbanization grows, as there are maybe changes in climate, going for runs, riding your bike in many traditional ways might not be exactly what healthy and active lifestyles looks like 10 and 20 years from now. We're not saying that those go away completely, but how people can live healthy and active lifestyles, it just is gonna fall into some new innovative categories. Um, one of the dynamics of COVID we saw, we did some interesting research around this whole idea of healthy and active lifestyle, um, is there's, there's a phrase and a term uh, called rewilding. And it is this idea of inviting us as Americans maybe into some sort of old school ways of living. You saw this actually in COVID, there was a huge growth in homeschooling, uh, uh, people moving kind of further out from city centers where you can live healthy and active lifestyles in lots of different ways. And, and what it means to live those and how technology supports that. I mean, obviously we're investing in, in technology businesses, but it doesn't have to be the next video game, the next sort of headset for VR. Um, but what does it mean to live healthy and active lifestyles? And there are ways that are going to emerge in, uh, in, in the US and globally, maybe we literally have never seen before with all these fascinating macro trends behind them. Tell me a little bit about this uh, pitch competition. I know you recently started a pitch competition. How you founded the pitch competition and kind of the ins and outs of, of, of how you all um, organized it. Yeah, so we as a new brand, Wildwood itself, I mean, we've obviously got this awesome connection with VF, but nobody heard of Wildwood <laughs> before a few months ago. And that's okay. That's part of building something from zero ourselves. 
this pitch competition was a way to create kind of some urgency and momentum uh, for us to find a great batch of founders to work with. So our, our team has vetted, uh, looked at a lot of applications over the last few weeks. We've seen pitches from, uh, I, I won't say specific numbers because I can't even remember them, a lot. We have had many columns sort of Shark Tank days inside of Wildwood meeting amazing founders, solving these problems in really unique ways. Again, some zeros, some 0.5s, some ones. So our, our pitch competition, uh, which wrapped up officially, we the deadline to submit was was the end of August. And uh, we are, I'll just say, we're, we're really excited about the folks um, that are kind of emerging out of that, that we'll be partnering with in the studio. We had such a large batch, we'll actually likely be kind of needing to phase them where we, we start with some soon in that fellowship program and then maybe start some of the fellowships uh, even into next year. And that invitation in the studio, right? It's not like a traditional venture fund, quote unquote, where, you know, it's like as soon as you got good deals, deploy the cash. Uh, we actually need to manage our time in a different way because of the studio. So the startup competition, uh, I can I assume I'm speaking for David when I say, we are really grateful for the response from the community, from the startup community around our pitch competition, the volume of pitches we saw. Listen, we, we've got a long way to go to kind of, you know, you hear about some VCs like the big name ones that'll look at 20,000 deals a year, right? That's, we're, we're not there yet. Um, yeah, 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 that'll be next year. Yeah, exactly. But the, the volume and quality that we uh, experienced in the last couple of weeks has been really, um, really impactful. And we see the heart for these problems. We see the passion for these problems, these very human conditions um, related to outdoor and wellness. So th there's the, the very high level version. How do you think, I know, how do you think about the structure in terms of um, how many um, founders that you're going to be partnering with um, at like once, or what's kind of like the structure in terms of the rollout when it comes to like the investment? The studio model is much more hands-on, much more custom, at least say we'll use accelerators kind of as an analogy here. Um, our, our work's going to be a lot more custom based on where each startup is. So what that means is we don't usually do these defined cohorts that start on a certain day and end on a certain day. And uh, the studio models just more bespoke and hands-on and depending on what the founder needs, the team needs, and what we can provide at a given time. So the startup competition, for example, will be, like I mentioned, will kind of be rolling into some of these fellowships uh, based on where the business is, what they need at the time. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to sit down as a call it a fractional co-founding team and and decide what the plan is for every every one of our founders in a unique way so we don't have this overly prescriptive um, cohort model or we do have what we call our guidebook which is these processes around building product and raising money and go to market and marketing and stuff like that but those are they're more like guidelines to quote jack sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. They're more like guidelines. Um, and that's how we think about the studio is, uh, is we are the fractional co-founding team and, and the, the overly sort of rigorous cohort scheduling is something we have not done yet. But again, 
all this stuff to be very clear to you and your listeners. We've been doing this for four months, so <laughs> we might change it soon. Uh, but these are all our answers for now. <laughs> awesome. Um, my final question to you both, what's, what's one book for each of you that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? As somebody who spent most of my career in the strategy world, I'm going to call out, it, the book is about 10 years old now, but it's called Playing to Win uh, by Roger Martin and A.G. Laffley. And it is a masterclass in strategy. So for any of your listeners that are wanting to kind of raise your game in, in strategy as a discipline, it's awesome. Um, and then in terms of a book, was your, your question was a book that's meant something a lot to you personally? Personally, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I have to say the Bible. <laughs> uh, Mike, um, there's this yellow covered book co called uh, Venture Capital for Dummies that I really enjoyed recently. <laughs> um, no, I, he, this is a very cliche answer, but I finally read it for the first time. Zero to One by Peter Thiel is very, I mean, it's kind of a, so cliche to even say it out loud. Um, but great book and it's, and it's provocative and it's brought up great conversations internally. So one on the personal side, there's an amazing book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And it's, it's the idea that uh, modern society has sped us up, made us efficiency obsessed in ways that kind of the human condition is not wired for. And so it's this invitation to slow down, take time, stop at stop signs all the way, maybe drive the speed limit, heaven forbid, uh, but all these ways to kind of slow down and kind of stop and smell the roses. And it's, I, I've read it actually multiple times and I, I got in the habit of reading it every October, which is kind of, I don't, I have no idea why. So I'm coming up on my next reading of the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. I'll be reading it again um, in October. Sounds great. That sounds great. Really excited to add all these to our um, um, to our book list. This is this is fantastic. Jesse, David, thank you both so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Mike, thank you for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. All the best. And there you have it. It was great chatting with David and Jesse. David and Jesse, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you are enjoying this podcast, I highly recommend subscribing to the newsletter at thegoodsnerobc.com where you'll receive fundraising updates, you'll receive new episodes straight to your inbox, and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. Please note that all content and episodes are for informational and entertainment purpose only. It is not investment advice. And thank you very much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>